Welcome to the Sunbury Press Book Show on the BookSpeak Network. Sunbury Press publishes print, electronic, and audiobooks under a variety of imprints and categories available worldwide wherever books are sold. And now your host, the founder and CEO of Sunbury Press, Lawrence Knorr. We're at the Christian Baker Farm near historic Boiling Springs, Pennsylvania. My guest today is Professor David S. Patterson. He's the author of The Pinchos, A Family Saga. Beginning in the American Civil War, this book brings to life three generations of the wealthy Pinchot family and their values of serving the public good, including activism in arts, culture, and politics. The saga also features the ambitious Pinchot women and their compelling personal stories of triumphs and tragedies. David Patterson has had a long professional career as an academic and government historian. He earned a Ph.D. in history from the University of California, Berkeley. He has taught diplomatic and peace history at major universities and is the author of two well-received books, Toward a Warless World and The Search for Negotiated Peace. He also served for several years as chief editor of the Foreign Relations of the United States. David, welcome. Morning. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. Well, when I saw this book come across uh, the Pinchos. Um, I was immediately intrigued. Of course, most people, especially around here in central Pennsylvania, know the Pinchos more from Gifford Pinchot. Know he was a governor. Um, we know there's a Gifford Pinchot Park. I believe it's a state park very close to us. And, and actually, I think that's the first time I saw the Pinchot name in my life was, was associated with the park. So there's always this, uh, oh, he was probably an environmentally active or concerned governor, and that's about it. <laughs> so um, I also came across the Pinchot name a little little later regarding the Kennedy assassination, and we'll get into that too. But uh, sort of give us uh, the 30,000-foot view. It sounds like this is a lot more than Gifford in this book. Yes, uh, it's, a, it's a family history, and um, it covers three generations. Gifford is the oldest of the second generation, um, but it covers really uh, starts with the uh, during the American Civil War and the following Gilded Age and ends really in the 1960s, so it covers uh, 100 years or so. So regarding the Gilded Age, the Pinchos, where were they residing, yeah, let's say, in the back end of the 1800s? They, um, the Pinchots were French in background, and they'd come over uh, from um, France after the Napoleonic Wars. They had been big supporters of Napoleon, perhaps because they were small businessmen and saw Napoleon as a liberating energy and force of the French Revolution. And, of course, when Napoleon uh, lost... In 1815, um, the Pinchos felt they were persona non grata and left um, France first for England briefly and then um, to the United States in the late 18-teens. So, um, and they settled in Milford, Pennsylvania, which is in the northeast corner of, of Pennsylvania, but only uh, about 70 miles from Manhattan, right. New York City. So um, they were also connected to New York, and uh, uh, the 
James Pinchot, who was Gifford's father, uh, <clears throat> moved to uh, New York uh, as a young man in his 20s and um, developed a partnership uh, in wallpaper, uh, set up factories in um, New York State and also in Pennsylvania, uh, manufacturing wallpaper, which they sold in, in his um, sort of a home furnishing store mm-hmm. in, uh, down near the Battery. That was the uh, center of uh, New York City at the time, in the 1850s. And um, <clears throat> he had a struggle. Uh, a lot of, he talks about uh, a lot of his friends who came to New York for the same business purposes failed. Uh, and there was a big uh, recession in the late 1850s that um, uh, caused these failures. But uh, he persisted, and um, he was closely tied to his family in uh, Milford, so... Uh, uh, he uh, could always retreat there when he got exhausted from his work. And um, it was a loyal family, a religious family, and um, uh, it, um, they worked as an economic unit. He would even bring uh, goods that he could get at a, a low price in, in New York City and bring it out, and they had a general store in Milford when they sold their goods. And they, Pinchot's really prospered by, from a diverse um uh, occupations. Uh, they had this store, but they also had vegetable gardens, and um, uh, they were very heavily engaged in the lumbering trade. And that uh, is a kind of connection to um, the development of um, his oldest son, Gifford's uh, later uh, career in forestry, because uh, James himself began to be uh, concerned about the uh, environmental havoc that the lumbering was uh, cause, causing uh, to the surrounding landscape and in which they had participated themselves. All right. Well, that's very interesting. So this lumbering, it, was um, that mainly like in western Pennsylvania where they were involved with that, or is that no, in the Milford it, area? Well, they, the uh, Pinchos were engaged in, um, like many Americans of that era, in land speculation, they had some resources, and apparently um, uh, the Pinchos, when they first came, even the um, the uh, woman's side of the family had some resources that they brought to the Pincho marriages, and uh, so they um, uh, they were engaged in lands. They had land as far west as Wisconsin, hmm. uh, but most of it was around uh, the uh, northeastern part of Pennsylvania. And um, they would um, send their, um, uh, they would cut down the trees and get them uh, on tracks over to um, uh, the Delaware River, float them down to Philadelphia, where they would be milled and um, made into wood. Um, and that's uh, sort of how they uh, operated in the lumbering trade. They even, even did this on Sundays, even though they were supposedly good church people. But they seemed to go to church even on Sunday night to um, uh, express their faith in God and um, the fact that uh, he was a beneficent God and it was helping them. I mention this in part because uh, uh, religion was pretty important, I think, to them. And Gifford himself grew up very strongly religious, at least in his first years. Well, religion definitely an important part of most people's lives uh, historically. Um, until about the 20th century when, when that starts to fade a little more. But 
I, I wanted to ask you about some of the New York families because I, I see a connection. Um, Teddy Roosevelt, a uh, Republican politician around the turn of the century, of course, a vice president who becomes president. Uh, he was one of the part of one of the elite families of New York. Uh, there are many other elite Gilded Era families. Of course, the Pinchos, one of them. Uh, one that I've gotten interested in recently are the Shoemaker family of Manhattan, who, through relations, had land out in western Pennsylvania. And Henry Wharton Shoemaker, who becomes this folklorist and uh, very well-known Pennsylvanian, uh, had this New York connection to these elite families and his family, one of them. Uh, later on, I see some interactions between Shoemaker and Pincho, some letters and exchanges, and they, they obviously knew each other maybe not very well. But uh, had you come across anything where these New York families would uh, go spend time out in the wilderness? I know that the Shoemakers, the, one of the reasons Henry ended up out in McElhattan and near Lock Haven is uh, his interest in the wilderness. Uh, his relations with the uh, New York families was, um, well, later of Theodore Roosevelt, of course, but um, at first, uh, uh, James, the father, his, his relationships were uh, mainly with uh, uh, Hudson River School painters and uh, architects like uh, Richard Morris Hunt, who designed uh, his uh, own... Um, mansion or castle, you might say. It's certainly a French chateau-type uh, uh, structure in called Grey Towers in Milford. And uh, so, uh, and uh, that's what introduced uh, James to uh, into the um, idea of um, uh, becoming a patron of these artists. And uh, they, to him, represented uh, gentility, respectability, uh, that uh, these uh, wealthy New Yorkers, I think, craved as a uh, uh, counter to uh, their material appetite as business people. Um, so, um, and the Century Association was the club where uh, he rubbed shoulders with them. And there were other people in, in uh, that club, for example, Frederick Law Olmsted, uh, the famed landscape architect was uh, involved in Gifford's first major job after he studied forestry in France was uh, at the Biltmore in uh, Virginia uh, because it was uh, uh, the um, builder of the mansion there. It's the biggest private residence, I think, still in, in, um, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the nation. and just an enormous thing. But he also had a lot of land, and um, Lomstead got him interested in... in um, uh, <clears throat> developing this uh, as a, a forest preserve and hired Gifford, who was uh, only in his uh, late 20s at this point, uh, his first major job becoming the forester of, of this uh, enormous estate. Um, <clears throat> and uh, George Vanderbilt, of course, was a descendant of the Vanderbilt families in New York, mm -hmm. but he was, he was different than, um, than uh, his uh, forebears uh, who had uh, been totally concerned about making money and then um, squandering it later. Uh, George Vanderbilt was very interested in the arts and, and, um, uh, and in uh, forestry uh, as a, a kind of um, 
different uh, perspective of, of, of uh, the Vanderbilt uh, fortune. Well, David, we're going to take a break. I've been talking to David Patterson, the author of The Pinchos, A Family Saga. We'll be right back. Sunbury Press Books brings the reader unique and independent works of fiction and nonfiction. Oxford Southern is our educational and academic imprint. Releases such as Philip Mosley's Telling of the Anthracite, Art a la Carte, a memoir of a wayfaring art teacher by Marianne Bickett, and Mildred Schindler Jansen's autobiography, Surviving Hitler, Evading Stalin. Click on the Oxford Southern link for more at sunburypress.com. I'm back with David Patterson, the author of The Pinchos, A Family Saga. David, uh, we sort of gotten into Gifford here a little bit and his interest in forestry, connections to the Vanderbilts. Uh, this all sounds very exciting. Um, you know, I just kind of close off the discussion about the uh, Shoemaker thing I wanted to tie off on. I, the point I wanted to make was Henry Shoemaker would take some of these wealthy New York friends of his, they were all Republicans, but they, they were associated with uh, a love of nature. And he'd take them out into the woods and they had this like hiking club in the 20s, 1920s, where they'd go uh, up and down the hills of Pennsylvania and other regions and uh, enjoy, enjoy the environment. And I, I didn't see anything where Gifford shows up with them, but I just thought it was interesting that they, they did that. And... Uh, you know, Pincho's interests as well and, and the exchanges that they had that may maybe someday I'll find a, a clue that he hung out with Pincho too. But I'm digressing. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, uh, when does he start to get involved in politics? Well, that's later. He um, uh, he develops this uh, association and uh, which quickly became a friendship with uh, Theodore Roosevelt um, first, as a uh, when Go- Roosevelt was elected governor, at, as a kind of re- political reward for his heroism uh, during the Spanish-American War, um, and uh, uh, <clears throat> from that he, he developed um, uh, <clears throat> a st- strong interest in in um, uh, uh, helping uh, Roosevelt develop a. A forest policy because Roosevelt himself was a uh, loved nature and uh, uh, had been a rancher in the Dakotas and uh, he bonded quickly with um, Gifford. Uh, there's a interesting story which has been told many times uh, actually embellished much more than it really needs to be embellished about when uh, Gifford uh, was invited to the governor's mansion in Albany to uh, advise him on some uh, forestry issues, which they settled very quickly. And, uh, and then um, they were going to sit down to dinner, and uh, Roosevelt challenged uh, uh, Gifford to a boxing match. Uh, and this is part of the Christian manliness that uh, the people of this uh, uh, generation, uh, wealthy people, often mm-hmm. engaged in. And, and uh, uh, so uh, they brought out the boxing gloves. I guess they were boxing gloves. I did that. I don't find that anywhere in uh, Gifford's notes about this encounter. But they squared off, and um, Gifford uh, uh, hit a solid punch and knocked uh, Roosevelt to the floor. Uh, And that was not just a matter of luck, because uh, for one thing, uh, Gifford was uh, about three or four inches taller than, than Roosevelt and had a longer reach, but he also had taken boxing lessons 
as a, as a, as a young man. So he knew a little bit about the sport. Uh, Roosevelt, stunned, none, nonetheless, got up, grabbed uh, Gifford around the waist, and wrestled him to the ground. The whole <laughs> encounter probably lasted two or three minutes, uh, Roosevelt gaining the advantage in the, in the wrestling part. Uh, and so you could say that their encounter was a draw, but the important thing was it was a bonding exercise between the two people, and they uh, got, got closer, and eventually... Um, when uh, Roosevelt became president after McKinley's assassination, uh, <clears throat> Gifford, who was already in Washington, having accepted the position as uh, chief forester in the Department of Agriculture, um, <clears throat> uh, became uh, close, uh, even closer to Roosevelt. He, he wrote many of his speeches, particularly about natural resource issues, and uh, together they fashioned a conservation policy that... Um, was, uh, I, I would argue, the distinctive uh, feature of the Roosevelt presidency, which lasted from 1901 to 1908. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very interesting. So Gifford later goes on to uh, run for some offices. I, I saw something where, uh, and you and I had an exchange where he may have, he ran for Senate in 26. Uh, when did he, he run? Won? When did he run for governor? Well, he, he first ran for the Senate and as a progressive party candidate. Uh, he, Gifford was very instrumental in, in nudging Roosevelt to the idea of challenging Taft for the nomination in 1912. And when that failed to uh, start a progressive party, which was the most successful uh, third party movement in American history, but uh, Roosevelt lost. And uh, so... Um, and during the, and then following that, um, in 1914, Gifford uh, decided that he, it was his time to run uh, for a Senate seat against uh, Boyce Penrose, who was the acknowledged uh, uh, Republican leader in the state of Pennsylvania. He was really a boss of the whole Republican Party machine, and. Uh, <clears throat> He ran, Gifford ran a credible uh, uh, campaign and uh, attacked uh, uh, Penrose uh, as tied to the liquor interest. Uh, Rose, uh, Gifford would later become a uh, strong supporter of prohibition mm-hmm. and uh, for generally his uh, corrupt allies, the gang, as he would call them, in uh, Pennsylvania politics. <clears throat> and... Um, Although he failed, he was launched, and Theodore Roosevelt to come and, and, and campaign for him during the, camp, during the uh, election cycle. Uh, and then he, he bided his time, and actually during World War I is kind of his low period, but uh, he was uh, beginning to cultivate his um, uh, prospects in, in uh, Pennsylvania. He realized, and, that, uh, and some of his advisors told him this, that he, he was just considered to be too much of an outsider and not really familiar with the Pennsylvania political scene or the or its problems. So uh, he spent a lot of time joining the Grange, for example, and courting uh, organized labor, the mine workers, particularly in, in Pennsylvania. And uh, uh, so when um, he decided to run again, this time for governor in 1922, he was much better prepared. And of course, uh, by this time, the women had the vote. And he had married um, a woman named Leela, who was a very much a, a very much interested in politics, passionate about it, in fact. 
and she uh, became a prominent supporter, and, and in 1922 in particular, women now having the vote, they were still energized, and she and uh, compatriots, some of whom came from out of state, uh, had a major impact in terms of getting the vote out for the women's vote out for um, Gifford in that uh, primary election. And it was all about the primary, the Republican primary, because um, the Democratic Party in, in, in Pennsylvania at that time, and going back even to the 1850s, was very weak, indeed pathetically weak. And so whoever won the primary was uh, going to win the election. And uh, fortunately for Gifford, the Republicans quarreled among themselves because Penrose had died and there was no new uh, acknowledged leader of the Republican Party in the state. And so uh, he was able to uh, create uh, alliances with uh, often quite dissimilar uh, people in their in their political views in the party uh, and from and squeaked through winning the nomination in, in 1922 and then went on to win the election. Uh, so he was elected governor in 1922, and um, Pennsylvania him. had a rule then that um, uh, governors could not succeed themselves, so he had to bide his time after he uh, finished his four-year term, but then would run again in 1930. Right. And on that note, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. The Writers' Conference of Northern Appalachia takes place March 10th and 11th at Robert Morris University. This two-day conference brings together authors and enthusiasts interested in the literature of the region with the aim of recognizing past writers and helping current ones develop. Twenty workshops and presentations on poetry, heritage, historical fiction, as well as voice and marketing. Register at WCONA.com. I'm back with David Patterson, the author of The Pinchot's A Family Saga. Uh, David, I I know uh, Pinchot, he was governor twice, right? 22 to, well, essentially 23 to 27, and then 31 to 35. Correct. Yeah. So uh, during the Roaring Twenties, Prohibition, and then um, then in the beginning of the Great Depression. So that that's quite a quite a uh, accomplishment to be elected again during bad times. Um, Anyway, I, I wanted to jump ahead, though, and, and I apologize for, for fast-forwarding and leaping 30 years, but one of the fascinating people in your book is, um, I guess it's a granddaughter of Gifford's, or is it a great-granddaughter, Mary Pinchot Meyer? Uh, she's the daughter of Amos Pinchot, who's uh, Gifford's younger brother okay, by eight so, years. So Mary would be a niece, then. And... Um, <clears throat> And should introduce a little bit Amos, who's uh, has had an interesting uh, career himself as a writer, and um, he had three beautiful daughters. Uh, one by his um, first marriage, and two by his second. And uh, <clears throat> the the second part of the book is. Uh, really features the the role and the changing status of women in the um, uh, mid nineteen mid twentieth century. Um, and then when you got in the vote and uh but uh after nineteen twenty uh feminism fragmented somewhat and was in decline and uh even though uh 
people from uh, uh, prosperous circumstances like the Pinchos, the Pinchot women, uh, although they had many opportunities, more opportunities than, say, uh, Mary Pinchot, James's uh, wife, uh, they suffered uh, considerable difficulties uh, uh, when they pursued uh, various career options. And uh, they uh, ended up in tragedies, and, and uh, two of them died uh, tragically, uh, two of the three daughters. So it's, um, it's a kind of sad story for Amos's line of the Pinchot family. Um, and, um, but, um, it's, um, you know, it's part of their history. And, um, like all of the Pinchos, these women, uh, were activists, Rosamond, um, Mary, and then her younger sister, Antoinette, or Tony, as she was called. Yeah. Mary, um, uh, graduated from Vassar, as did her younger sister, Tony. And, uh, they, um, uh, Mary married um, a, uh, a CIA officer, or somebody who became a prominent CIA officer named Cord Meyer Jr., who was also from a uh, wealthy uh, New York family. And um, the, um, the, they uh, had a, a, a sort of a very acrimonious uh, marriage and uh, uh, ultimately dissolved by the late 1950s. And uh, Mary had um, uh, another lover. She got very much involved in the Washington Color School, which was a uh, in vogue in, in the uh, district uh, in, in the 1950s and 1960s. And then um, <clears throat> uh, that uh, slowly dissolved and... Uh, uh, Mary got involved with uh, uh, President Kennedy. Uh, this was not something that um, suddenly uh, uh, erupted or, or developed. Uh, they had known each other going back to 1936. Wow. When uh, uh, Kennedy came back, uh, he was a freshman at Princeton. Later, he'd go to Harvard, but he was a freshman at Princeton and went back to his uh, prep school, Choate, in Connecticut for the spring dance. And uh, he um, uh, met uh, or found uh, pretty Mary Pinchot on the um, dance floor, cut in on her several times. And so he you know, knew her from that point on when Mary was only 16. Uh, <clears throat> then um, fast forward uh, to 1945, right after uh, Mary and Cord are married, they're both journalists, and they, they go to San Francisco to cover the um, founding of the United Nations at a conference there. And who was there but uh, John F. Kennedy, uh, who was uh, also applying his uh, mind at journalism after his uh, career in the Navy during World War II. And uh, <clears throat> he apparently flirted with um, Mary again, much to Cord's uh, uh, <laughs> unhappiness. And uh, although I don't think anything happened then, but they they had this connection. And then when uh, Cord was working at the CIA, of course, they lived in um, uh, actually uh, near um, the CIA headquarters. And uh, <coughs> their uh, house uh, was next door to uh, the Kennedy's house uh-huh. um, in in um, uh, in Virginia near Langley. And uh, <coughs> they. Um, 
Mary knew uh, Jackie Kennedy uh, quite well because their husbands who were uh, uh, very busy people. But uh, they were uh, then later after she got divorced from court, she uh, she moved to uh, Georgetown and um, she got to know uh, Ben Bradley because her sister had married him. And it was the second marriages for them for both. Bradley became the uh, uh the executive editor, chief editor of the Washington Post, and well known for the, his uh, exploration of the Watergate and of the uh, Pentagon Papers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so Mary knew uh, K- Kennedy, and when Kennedy was became president, uh, she was often, now she's single, uh, she was often invited to, uh, uh, to uh, White House events, dinners and so forth. And... Uh, <clears throat> We um, now know from looking at the logs of the uh, White House, which were open uh, some years ago, that I think uh, she is uh, uh, listed as entering the White House something like 16 times. And 15 of those times, Jackie was away from the city. So uh, we have a, a sense of what was going on. Seems that, like a uh, nice friendship not, was, it was continuing. Just social. <laughs> yeah. Now, Kennedy was. Uh, uh, was a womanizer, uh, mm-hmm. and it, that that was well known. But I think we know even more. It's all come out uh, since uh, his assassination. And uh, but uh, Mary Pinchot Meyer was his. Uh, I would argue, and I think others agree, uh, his favorite paramour. And uh, so, yes, and naturally we... she was when when he was. And, and one other story about this is that um, in September um, 1963, Kennedy visited um, Gray Towers in Milford to accept the gift of the Gray Towers from uh, Gifford's son, Gifford Bryce Pinchot, uh, to the U.S. Forest Service. And um, Kennedy flew to uh, the event with uh, Mary and Tony with him. And uh, it was a, a family event as well as a big event for, of course, for the Mid- Milford citizenry. Kennedy was in fine form. He gave a speech. Uh, the conservation movement was heating up again. Um, um, the um, Silent Spring by Rachel Carson had, had appeared uh, a year earlier, which uh, condemned the, um, the use of DDT and other contaminants in um, the uh, drinking water and, and, and um, food supply uh, of Americans. And um, uh, Gray Towers became the first stop for Kennedy's uh, whirlwind church trip to about 10 western states to talk about forestry and conservation issues. And, and there's a picture of um, uh, Kennedy with uh, the uh, two uh, Pinchot daughters and, um, and their mother, who had uh, survived Amos, who had uh, also met a kind of unfortunate end of his life earlier. So um, that that's the uh, the third generation of this uh, family, and um, it doesn't end with Kennedy's assassination because ten months later, Mary herself was killed. Yeah, in the Georgetown I towpath. I wanted to ask you about that. We only have a minute to go, yeah. and. Uh, she dies under, some say, mysterious circumstances. Did, did they ever figure out how she died? 
No, uh, they uh, arrested a black man, a kind of indigent um, uh, citizen of, of the district because he was in the area, and uh, they charged him with uh, the murder of Mary, who was shot twice uh, in broad daylight. And uh, uh, But they, they didn't have a good case. They didn't find the weapon, for example, the murder weapon, and uh, they didn't find any of his... Uh, hairs or other fragment, clothing fragments, say, on her uh, body after her murder. And uh, in other, that and other ways, the uh, prosecution really botched the case. And um, so uh, it's, it was unsolved and still unsolved to this day and likely will never be, we'll never know what happened. But Mary had a diary in which uh, she uh, kept some uh, accounts of her visits with Kennedy and that has mysteriously disappeared. So uh-huh. that adds to the whole uh, uh, story, uh, which is uh, uh, unsolved and uh, and has prompted a lot of interest. Uh, there have been at least two novels written about it, two two nonfiction works about it, um, and um, there's even been a play written about it. Who knows? Maybe we'll have an opera about it sometime. She sounds like a young lady who knew too much. David, we are out of time. I I had a million more questions for you, but we'll have to wait for another time. Thank you for listening to the Sunbury Press Book Show on the BookSpeak Network. Check out our website at www.sunburypress.com for our latest releases. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter to receive special offers and discounts.